Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. In 1775, this was called the Battle of Bunker Hill. Nobody said Battle of Breed's Hill. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Katie Turner Getty discussing her favorite quotes about Bunker Hill. And she's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle series with two new releases The Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan and the Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is editor and Journal of the American Revolution contributor, Katie Turner Getty. And she'll be discussing the most inspirational, influential, and all-around fascinating quotes surrounding the Battle of Bunker Hill. All too often when we study singular battles and events in the American Revolution, we speculate as to what happened in those battles, never realizing that we could simply talk to the people that were there. Now, of course, we can't talk to them in the literal sense, uh, but we can read their first-hand accounts and get a better understanding of exactly how things went down from a number of different perspectives. Vantage points are everything. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Katie Turner-Getty. Katie Turner-Getty, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Tell us about your background. Yes, of course. I am a Revolutionary War researcher, writer, and speaker based here in the Boston area. I'm a frequent contributor to the Journal of the American Revolution. And much to my peril, I have recently started a YouTube channel where I share my research and embark on what I call historical action adventures. So I go to all sorts of places around the Boston area where the events of the American Revolution occurred. So burying grounds, historic houses, battlefields, like, for example, the Bunker Hill battlefield. (laughs) What first drew your interest into this topic? Boy, you know, I've... Growing up in the Boston area, right in the vicinity where all of these events happened, you know, battles of Lexington and Concord, battle of Bunker Hill, I've really been just interested in the revolution ever since I was a child. And my family would go to historical sites in the area. And even my my hometown um, of Stoneham, Massachusetts, had a militia company that responded to the Lexington alarm on April 19th, 1775. And so just kind of growing up in this area, you kind of, I don't know, absorb the history, you walk the same streets, and you just kind of feel like you're in the shadow of the revolution all the time. It's just kind of in the air you breathe, I think. Katie, what kind of place is Bunker Hill today? Yeah, so um, the battlefield now, or at least part of the battlefield that has been preserved, 
is part of the Boston National Historic Park. And it's located in Charlestown, Massachusetts, which is really just a stone's throw across the Charles River from Boston. And if you've ever walked the Freedom Trail route in Boston, you can actually walk to the battlefield. And Brady, you or some of your listeners might have been there and seen there is a huge granite obelisk there on the spot. And it even it kind of looks like from a distance that it's part of the Boston skyline. And what that obelisk is, is it it marks the spots of the American Redoubt on top of Breed's Hill. And that was the main American stronghold on the Charlestown Peninsula on June 17th, 1775, the day of the Battle of Bunker Hill. And that redoubt was basically an earthen fort that the Americans threw up overnight on the 16th and then defended for the duration of the battle on the 17th. Um, so that that Bunker Hill monument, that 221-foot granite obelisk, which is actually 200 years old, and the Marquis de Lafayette laid the cornerstone of it, stands on that spot. It marks the spot of the redoubt. So although the battle did not just happen on that spot, the battle actually raged all across the Charlestown Peninsula, which is kind of a story on its own. That obelisk stands today commemorating the battle. Um, visitors, you know, can come and see it, and you can actually if one can summon the courage, um, you can climb to the top of it, which is really scary and fun. <laughs> Katie, could you talk about how you research this article? Yeah, it's, I'm sure you can totally relate. It's, it's a lot of fun. And really, it, the truth is it's very slowly over the course of years. And just over the years, the, the Battle of Bunker Hill is one of my absolute top interests in historical research. And so I just kind of pull every bit of information I can, um, that I can find on the battle from any primary source materials. And so really what I, what I hone in on are firsthand accounts of the battle from 1775, not really today. So just kind of going through archives online in person as I would dig for, for firsthand accounts of the battle, I did not start off looking for quotes. Um, I was kind of trying to just, various, in various ways, reconstruct the battle, fill in holes, um, resolve contradictions, fill in gaps. And, but as you do that, and as you get your head around the battle, you come across these quotes and you know from and this article centered upon quotes from the men who were actually there who participated in the battle and so you really get this sense of you're hearing their voices they're telling you in their own words what they saw and did and it's just like you know, it's like holding a seashell to your ear when you're at the beach. You can just kind of, it's this amazing experience of being just like one person away from the event itself. So I just kind of naturally 
zeroed in on that human element um, of the story of the Battle of Bunker Hill. How did patriots talk about this battle? Yes, I, I think there was. And it's very interesting. And this touches on what is really the paradox, I think, of the Battle of Bunker Hill. Because, you know, famously, the Americans lost the Battle of Bunker Hill. We know that the British, ultimately, at the end of June 17th, the British successfully drove all American forces off the Charlestown Peninsula. And by the end of the day, the British were in possession of Charlestown and were themselves entrenching upon Charlestown Heights. And they held Charlestown for the remainder of the siege, and they did not evacuate until March 1776, when the the British left Boston. So the Americans lost the ground of Charlestown for the duration of the siege. And the Americans also suffered about 450 casualties. Um, About 450 men were killed and wounded out of approximately, say, 2,200, 2,500 provincial troops um, who fought on the ground in Charlestown that day. So technically, it was an American loss. However, almost as soon as the smoke cleared, the Americans knew that they had inflicted way, way more casualties on the British than they themselves had sustained. So the Americans were aware that they had exacted a very high price from the British for their possession of that hill. Over 1,000 British troops were killed or wounded during the Battle of Bunker Hill. And Nathaniel Green, who was not um, in the battle itself, but was serving at the Siege of Boston, and he would later become a general in the Continental Army, had a great line. He said, I wish we could sell them another hill at the same price. So although it was technically an American loss, I think it, um, it built a lot of morale. The Americans were well aware very quickly of, of the price they had forced the British to pay. On the other side, how did Britons talk about it? Yeah, exactly. And this is, this is funny that you should ask this question because it's something I've been, I've been thinking about a lot lately is that, you know, the British won the battle, of course, and it's, it is considered a Pyrrhic victory for the British. Um, they did succeed in driving the Americans out of Charlestown, but not only that, the British had also succeeded in once again gaining a foothold in the American countryside. Because recall that back on April 19th, during the battles of Lexington and Concord, two months before this, the British had famously, and we all know the story, made an ill-fated expedition out to Concord, Massachusetts, to seize military supplies. And alarm riders like Paul Revere alerted the countryside and thousands of American militiamen from all of the surrounding towns in this area flooded into 
the Lexington Concord area. And so as the British retreated from Concord, trying to get back to the safety of their Boston garrison, the British retreat turned into a running battle as all of these militiamen poured into the area and fired upon the British from all sides for the entire 16-mile retreat back to Boston, inflicting lots of casualties on the British column. And once the British got back to, to Boston, which at that time was a really skinny, tiny peninsula, the, the militia companies that had responded to the Lexington alarm and engaged in this action, they did not return to their towns. They stayed. They camped out and encircled Boston, effectively trapping or bottling up the British in Boston. And that is what kicked off the siege of Boston. So since then, the British had not even been able to leave Boston. So gaining Charlestown was like this great coup. You know, it was like it could be a gateway to the rest of the Massachusetts countryside. They could finally get out of Boston. So they they should be really happy about this. But they weren't. The, the official British figures for a number of casualties killed and wounded was 1,054. And so the British had lost almost half the force that they had landed with on Charlestown that day. So almost half of the British soldiers who landed either never left Charlestown, they were buried there on the battlefield where they fell, or they were ferried back to Boston, wounded and bleeding. And this was, I think, very shocking, very difficult um, for the British to wrap their minds around. And when you read materials from the time, when you read those contemporary accounts of um, that the British left about the battle, whether it was reports that they wrote and sent back to Great Britain or letters home uh, from the men who were there, you get a sense of shock, anger, bewilderment, despondency at what they had lost. And there's almost a sense of this, this shouldn't have happened. This, this should not have gone this way. And a very, very sobering sense of what they had expended to gain the Charlestown Peninsula and General Sir William Howe, who was the commanding British officer on the ground in Charlestown during the battle, um, later said that when he looked to the consequences of what he called that unhappy day, which, you know, of course, this was a British victory, right? But he calls it an unhappy day. When he thought of the loss of so many of his brave officers, he said, I do it with horror. The success is too dearly bought. So they won the battle but they paid a very high price for it. 
Katie, which of these quotes surprised you the most? Oh, yeah. I <laughs> I became really interested in, in one of the quotes. Um, one of the quotes in the article is from this a British captain of a grenadier company named George Harris. And he was one of the British officers who was in the process of storming the redoubt on top of Breed's Hill, that earthen fort that I discussed earlier that the Bunker Hill Monument marks the spot of. And so, you know, kind of famously, we know the broad outlines of the battle where um, the British made a couple attempts to ascend Breed's Hill and storm the redoubt. And Captain Harris was one of these men. And his lieutenant was actually um, Lord Rawdon, which is kind of a name that a lot of people are familiar with. And they were very near each other on the ground during the battle. And what happens is Captain Harris gets shot in the head by one of the provincial soldiers who's up in the redoubt. And Captain Harris falls senseless to the ground. And Lord Rawdon thinks he's dead. And he kind of bends down to pick him up to prevent him from being trampled on by all of the British troops around them. And Captain Harris kind of mumbles or, or say, like says, leave me alone or something like that. And so Lord Rawdon knows he's alive. And Lord Rawdon calls to four soldiers. He says, um, get Captain Harris out of here, get him to safety. And so these four British soldiers carry Captain Harris off the field and he is ferried back to Boston um, for, for surgery. And he's kind of conscious. It's the bullet kind of the ball just sort of gray. He says grazed, but I think it was probably a lot more than that. And he's in excruciating pain. Every time he lays down, he's in excruciating pain. And this woman in Boston is trying to be helpful. And she says, oh, you can sit in this nice, soft chair. This will be very comfortable for you. So he does. And it's infested with bugs. So he becomes like, he's just absolutely miserable. He's in excruciating pain and then infested by bugs. And then the surgeons decide they need to trip on his skull. They need to relieve the mounting pressure that is building in Captain Harris's head. And they do it by drilling a hole in his skull to relieve the pressure. So of course, this is before general anesthesia or anything like that. So he's laying down. The surgeons are drilling a hole in his skull in order to relieve the pressure. And for fun, they hold a mirror up to his head, up to Captain Harris's face, so he can view his own brain during the surgery. And I mean, this was just absolutely fascinating to me. He lives, he recovers, and six weeks later, after the battle, he's making jokes about it in a letter to his cousin at home saying, you know, I'm, I'm really glad this whole thing happened because it might prove to you and the rest of the world that I actually have a brain. And it was just incredibly odd, funny, and um, an example of like this very human, this, you know, Captain Harris kind of came to life for me a little bit as I read about uh, this, this crazy thing 
that happened to him. And then, you know, to joke about it, and he goes back and he, he keeps he keeps serving in the British Army until like 1778 or something. Which of these quotes, Katie, would you say is your favorite? Yeah, you know, it's that's it's very tough, very tough because you, you fall in love with everybody a little bit, you know, when you're researching. Um, but really the ones that truly have my hat are in the article, I quote three American men who were in the redoubt um, on Breed's Hill. And they are Peter Brown, Isaac Glinney, and Amos Fonsworth. And, you know, these guys, these three were part of the original detachment of American troops who were ordered to Charlestown on the night of June 16th to start digging the entrenchments. So they were kind of that first group of, you know, American troops who were ordered to Charlestown and who arrived there and, you know, not knowing really what was going to happen to them the next day. And these guys, um, you know, had probably been awake since dawn on June 16th. They were ordered to get ready to go to Charlestown like late in the afternoon on the 16th. They set out, they marched from Cambridge to Charlestown, not a long distance, but um, they got to the Charlestown Peninsula probably about 10 p.m. And they started digging and they dug all night long. They did not sleep. They barely ate and drank. They had been awake since dawn on the 16th. Um, they dug all through the morning and then they were attacked at 2 p.m. on the 17th, the next day. So these guys were already, um, one of them said, they, they were already beat out before the battle had already, had even begun. They had done backbreaking work digging those trenches. Um, these three survived the battle, but, you know, some of those men didn't. And one of the last things they did, they ever did, was dig that trench. And, you know, for me to read the words of these three guys who were there, who did that, who, you know, these were young, ordinary Americans. They, they weren't professional soldiers, but they defended that redoubt until the last, during the first pitched battle of the American Revolution, where, you know, the, the battles of Lexington and Concord was the first major battle, but Bunker Hill was the first battle of the revolution where the ground underneath their feet was contested. And so, you know, to have the words, to read the, the thoughts, the observations of these guys who were there at this iconic moment in American history. It's like they're telling you. And um, for that reason, they're just my favorite. Do you believe we remember this event accurately? Boy, it's a great question. And I think, I think it can be answered a lot of different ways. The first answer though, that comes to my mind and 
I have to I have to confess too that this is kind of like my history rage. Like if if it was kind of one fact, I feel like I would scream out like <laughs> into the void. It would be this. There is a perception nowadays that this battle was misnamed. Sometimes you'll read an article and it will say something like the battle mistakenly referred to as the Battle of Bunker Hill really took place on Breed's Hill. Or it'll say something like the misnamed and misremembered Battle of Bunker Hill. And it's in reference, what they're referring to, I think, when they say that is that that redoubt, the main American fort, was located on Breed's Hill. And in Charlestown, then and now, there are two big hills. And they're very close together. Bunker Hill is bigger, and it's closer to Charlestown Neck, closer to Cambridge. So in 1775, it would have been closer to the main provincial camp. Breed's Hill is lower. It's a little bit closer to Boston, which in 1775, was British-occupied Boston during the siege. But this is a very small land area we're talking about, so these, these are not great differences or distances. And the redoubt was definitely situated on Breed's Hill, but at the time, in 1775, no one really knew what Breed's Hill was outside of Charlestown. Um, it was a very, very local sort of name. Breed's pasture was sometimes used. There was a 19th century historian in Boston um, named Richard Frothingham who did a lot of research, and he never even found the name Breed's Hill in any property records or any deeds from Charlestown any time before 1775. So in 1775, the big landmark of that area was, in fact, Bunker Hill, the much bigger hill, and it it was known. Um, Breed's Hill was not known. In 1775, this was called the Battle of Bunker Hill. Nobody said Battle of Breed's Hill. And that's how it was called then. So I kind of bristle when it's kind of suggested that someone made a mistake because in 1775, no one made a mistake about where they were or what was happening or, you know, what landmarks they knew at the time. Um, they, nowadays, we think of the Redoubt being on Breed's Hill, Bunker Hill being near the neck, and we these names have been sort of very deeply attached to these very specific areas of the peninsula, but that doesn't really reflect the nomenclature that was used at the time. In 1775, and you get a sense of this when you're reading all of these accounts, they, it was not, these locations were not so discreet as we sometimes think of them today. Um, you could, you know, sometimes the term Charlestown Heights is used, and that was used in 1775, and that sort of means both hills. So it's a little bit, um, it's not, it's not like a mistake was made and someone accidentally confused, you know, um, like Boston and New York City.
or Massachusetts and New Hampshire. The distinction was not quite so clear. And so I call it the Battle of Bunker Hill because that's what it was called in 1775. It's the official name of the battle today, even though the main provincial fort wasn't on Bunker Hill itself. So that's just kind of my history rage. (laughs) How do you think this article helps us understand the revolutionary era better? For me, I think it shows that the die was really cast. I mean, I I think I myself think the die was cast after Lexington and Concord. Um, But at Bunker Hill, this was full-fledged war. This was a battle that was so intense that some of the older British officers said that they had never been in an engagement like it. They had never been in so hot an action as the Battle of Bunker Hill. It was um, a very intense pitched battle where the Americans, although, you know, technically losing the land, they inflicted way more casualties. So I think it, I think it boosted American morale and there was just no going back. Katie Turner Getty. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Brady. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.